Подача Остин! Все-таки Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. My name is Matt Markstone, and I'm your host. I'm also sick, so I won't take up too much time here. I just want to briefly introduce both of the interviews that we have today. Obviously, uh, Saints did not play as well as we would have hoped uh, this weekend, suffering a loss at the hands of Stoke City. Peter Crouch, for the second year in a row, scored against us, his former club. But Chris and I will take care of all of that. And Chris, if you don't know who he is, he is the site expert for Saints Marching. And you can find him on Twitter at Chris Hughes 1996. And you can get in touch with Saints Marching at Saints Marching. And the link to the to all of those and the Saints Marching website are in the show notes. After that, we'll talk with Kirsty Bell, who is the captain of the Southampton Women's Football Club. And you can find her on Twitter at KIRST1937. And the Southampton Football Club is at SOTON Women's FC. So be sure to check those out, give them a follow. And if you don't support a local football team, consider going down and giving the undefeated Southampton Women's FC your support. They will appreciate it very much. So uh, without kind of anything else, uh, just a reminder that you should check out the We Are Southampton page on Instagram. For match day edits, polls, competitions, and more, be sure to check out We Are Southampton on Instagram. They've helped with this show. Matt has been a guest on the show. He's the guy who runs the page, and he's, he's a great dude. He does fantastic work, so be sure to check it out. Uh, that, that's We Are Southampton on Instagram. The link to that is in the show notes if you need it. Okay, and now let's go ahead and talk with Chris Hughes, the site expert for Saints Marching. Uh, we'll talk about Stoke. We'll talk about Saints Marching. We'll talk about all of that stuff, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. We'd like to welcome to the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all the SFC fans, Chris Hughes, the site expert for Saints Marching. You can find him on Twitter at Chris Hughes 1996 and you can get to Saints Marching at Saints Marching underscore. So Chris, uh, maybe not the best circumstances under which to talk heading into an international break on the back of a 2-1 loss to Stoke, but uh, happy to have you here, happy to chat with you, and uh, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to do this. No worries. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. Oh, no, my, my, my pleasure. I know uh, last season I we were trying to make it work, and just with uh, you finishing up uh, university and all that stuff and work, it would, didn't quite work. And now, uh, but now we're here and I'm happy to, happy to do this with you. So yeah, long time coming. Yeah. Um, and you guys got a lot of good stuff going on over at Saints Marching, but just for anybody who maybe doesn't know, why don't we start with what Saints Marching is and then we'll talk about how you got into that and, uh, then get into the match. Yeah. Well, Saints Marching is a Southampton blog. That's part of the fan sided network that are basically an American site that have got absolutely hundreds of blogs for kind of every american sports team you know basketball baseball american football all of that and they have a soccer division that i happen to kind of get involved in and yeah so we just cover southampton you know game day stuff is kind of a big part of our content but we have stuff normally one to two things every day um so the site's definitely getting bigger um We've got about ten or eleven writers now, so yeah, it's just a really fun gig at the moment. And you have you have writers that are based in the UK, or you have a lot of people based in uh, in America or anywhere else. Uh, most of our writers are in the UK. We've got one writer at the moment called Eric, who's from New Jersey, and Blake, who I know you spoke to last time. He was the co-expert for a short period of time and a contributor for a couple of months after that. He's obviously from America as well, so there's a little bit of a balance, but obviously 
the majority of Southampton's fan base obviously being from Southampton and the, the local area that's where kind of a lot of our writers come from. And and how, how would somebody, if they were interested in writing for you guys, how would they go about um, getting involved with that? Uh, well, obviously they could find me on Twitter or go to the Saints Marching one on Twitter. I'm about 90% sure that the direct messages are open on both, so they could message me on that. Um, if not, they can go straight onto fan-sided openings. If you Google that, the first option on Google is pretty much that's how fansided do all their recruitment and all they have to do is fill out kind of a form if you would with you know experience and everything like that choose their blog that they want to write for and they'd be saints marching and then if they submit it then the recruitment guys drop a message just saying you know there's someone that wants to write for your site can you have a quick look over the proposal that they've submitted yeah that sounds sounds easy enough and we'll put uh links to the, the twitter handle and the website and everything in in the show notes for anybody who's interested in that but I, I guess about you and, uh, and are, are you originally from Southampton? Did you have you been a lifelong Saints fan, or did you move down there for university, or how did how did that all come about? Well, I'm actually from Reading in Berkshire, which is about 45 minutes away from Southampton. But my dad, who's born in London, he supported Southampton his whole entire life. Never really found out why, but so even when I was born in Reading and lived there till I was about eight, even then. It was, you know, Southampton was enforced on me. So I've been a lifelong Saints fan, but we've only actually moved, we moved down here when I was in year five of school. So probably about 10 years old. Okay. Um, and I've just been a Saints fan the whole entire time. So actually the opportunity to kind of move really close to, to where the club was based was just awesome. So, and I've lived here ever since and I went to uni locally at Solent. So now, do you remember the, the first Southampton match you ever went to? difficult i one game that i remember really well was a game i want to say it was against like tranmere or something in a cup and we won like a good like six nil or something i have this memory of that game and i don't know if it's just a dream that i gradually kept thinking was real but i do have memory of like from the james Beatty era of us playing tranmere in the cup and i couldn't have been older than like five six seven at that point but the kind of first era of games that i remember regularly going to was like the league one days championship days where it was like gregor's raziak and bradley wright phillips up front and that kind of thing that was when i started having a season ticket was there a noticeable difference maybe between those days when you were down in the championship in league one and and, and just the way those games felt versus maybe going to saint mary's now and being kind of in the premier league uh i mean obviously when i was younger going and watching Saints play like Sheffield United with no disrespect to them um, was obviously a lot different to being able to go see Southampton play bigger teams now. But I think I still get the same buzz if we ever go to St. Mary's to watch a game. So I think there's obviously a contrast in the the style of football compared to like when we had George Burley as manager and stuff to now. But I think it's still as enjoyable nowadays. In relation to uh, your writing, you graduated recently with a, a sports journalism degree. I guess, when did you make the decision that you wanted to go in the, the sports journalism kind of field? Well, it was actually quite a late decision. I originally, for a long period of kind of when I was at secondary school and stuff, I wanted to go through kind of into like law, but I did it at sixth form college. So when I was 16 to 17 at AS level, and I was truly, truly terrible at it, I scraped an E by about three marks and thought right i clearly need another career path we had a careers fair 
And my tutor at that time was like, oh, why don't you go look at like journalism or something? And it was something that never crossed my mind, but I'd always been quite good at English and writing and stuff. So I went to that and was just instantly kind of sold. And I'm pretty sure I submitted my UCAS thing within a week later and just chose sports journalism as kind of the course I wanted to do. Going through um, several years of university after that, have you has your ideas or have your ideas about about journalism and writing changed a lot over that time? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. Um, from when I start, I first started writing probably just over two years ago, and I definitely kind of view it differently to now when it's kind of a lot bigger part of my life. Um, obviously, when I started writing, it was a case of one thing every week or one thing every two weeks, whereas now it's keeping an eye on the Twitter with Saints Marching, keeping an eye on, you know, making sure there's content up, you know, once, if not twice, maybe three times a day. So I think my view on the whole side of writing side of journalism has changed, but I don't think it's in any way a negative. Well, I guess looking at yesterday's match, you know, like you said, match day is kind of a big part of your, uh, your thing at, at, at Saints Marching and fan sided in general. Um, yesterday we headed into, into the match with Stoke City away in 11th place. You know, obviously we're not scoring a ton of goals, but um, going into Stoke, how were you feeling uh, going into the match yesterday? Uh, there was there were talk of, of Stoke maybe struggling to to put together a, a solid back line, but overall they look when that that lineup came out, I was I was a little bit I want to say disappointed with with what they were putting out there, but I was expecting them to be weaker. And uh, you know, obviously Jeff Cameron is a is a U.S. center back, so that that you know I have to root against him for ninety minutes. And then, and then Vimmer and, and Zuma, that, I mean, that's not a, that's not a bad backline for them, but how are you feeling going into yesterday's match? Yeah. I mean, 24 hours before the game, I was kind of feeling quite confident. Stoke have had, you know, an unlucky start to the season, but at the same time, they've still, you know, not necessarily performed again in some of their easier games. But as you said, an hour before kickoff, when the team came out, I was definitely a little bit more cautious i knew they'd probably play jack butland in goal as they did so i thought you know he's obviously going to be a test but you know i was expecting a much weaker defense on their part because obviously zuma cameron and vimmer is not a bad back three to to field for kind of any team that's you know fighting for a top half finish so um, my confidence was definitely knocked but i was still quite hopeful that we could have at least got something from the game so it was definitely disappointing when um Obviously, Peter Crouch scored that very late goal to to win them the game. Similar, I mean, similar to last season at our place, right? Like he, yeah, he he does it again. It seems like that's what Peter Crouch does. He fouls people and he and he does that. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> and he dances horribly. Um, but hey, I guess when you're that tall, it's probably hard to dance well. You know, yeah. Um, it's a lot of a lot of body to control. But what what did you make of our lineup heading into yesterday? Uh, Van Dyke comes back in. Yoshida retains his spot, maybe over over Hoot. You know, I don't think there's any kind of discussion really over Romeo Lamina starting. Uh, but then that front kind of four, Tadich, Davis, Redmond, and Long, uh, was that what you were expecting? Was that what you wanted to see maybe? Um, I, I was hoping that Gabby Adili might start. I was thinking, obviously, when it, I was under the impression that they might only really have one out-and-out centre-back in the team and that, you know, they might have to kind of field like Glenn Johnson as almost like a right centre-back in the formation. I was hoping that Gabbiadini might get the nod. Um, you know, I like Shane Long, and I think he's a very hard worker, but I can't remember who I saw tweet 
about it, but someone mentioned that yesterday was either his 18th or 19th league game without a goal or something like that, which even for a centre midfielder, that's quite a, a bad statistic. So as a strike for a for a striker or a winger, as he played for the kind of latter portion of the game, it is disappointing because um, I was hoping to see something kind of shaken up. I know we played quite well against United, but I'm pretty sure we must have played the same attacking four now for at least, what, at least three games, including yesterday. So I would have liked to have seen a bit more of a shake-up up front, um, perhaps a different kind of formation. But I think we, we played decently well, but it was just, again, it's the attacking lineup that cost us the game, arguably, because we weren't creating enough chances. Yeah, I mean, so same same attacking lineup for now, like you said, this game, United and, and Crystal Palace. And now, I mean, if you want to give the goal from yesterday, two goals, period, over over three over three games, and and like you said yesterday, I mean, it came from Yoshida, but that, so really, one goal from the attacking four over three matches is just not not good enough. No, definitely not. I mean, especially when Stephen Davis is arguably the most defensive of that attacking four to have scored over the last three games, and his goal was. You know, whilst you've got to be in the right place at the right time, his goal was obviously just, you know, a tap in from whatever, 10 yards from a from a save from Wayne Hennessy or whoever who was in goal for Crystal Palace. So I think it is disappointing. I think Tadic kind of blown hot and cold. He looked better against Palace than he did against United. But I, I still think the big thing for after the international break has to be some kind of rotation up front. I think that's what all the fans are calling, including myself. Just want to see them experiment a little bit. Now, so if you were going to set up that that team for yesterday, I personally had Gabbiadini up front, and people want to put Long on the wing. And I, coming into this season, was not okay with with that idea. But I think that Long has played pretty well and and offers us something that we don't really have in the team other than him in in that that pace. But yesterday, I would have thought that we would have needed Gabbiadini up front to kind of unlock the defense and and just be a little bit smarter about movement and things like that versus just pace because especially i guess once the lineups came out zuma is is very athletic Vimmer's not you know the quickest but zuma especially is going to run be able to run with most most people but i think he's young and if you get somebody in there that's experienced and can be a little i guess wiser with their movement maybe maybe that's the the right call but i don't know i don't know if i can if i can argue too much with with long going up front given that i don't think he's done anything wrong even though he hasn't scored over the past couple matches um, what did you make of, of Van Dyke coming back into the team? Is that, uh, did you expect him to start this match or, uh, would you have said that the Yoshida hoot combination was deserved a, another, another run out? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's difficult. I think a lot of Southampton fans saw that Van Dyke didn't start for the first time in like three games, didn't start for the under 23s at the start of this week. So a lot of Saints fans were expecting them to start, including myself. Uh, I mean, it's difficult, obviously. I think Yoshida and Hoot were playing really well alongside each other. Um, I don't think either of them were really at fault for the goal against Man United. Um, so I would have argued that they both should have played again. Obviously, Yoshida got the goal, but I think it was more surprising, perhaps, for Southampton fans that it was Hoot who got dropped rather than him. Um, I think it was difficult. It's difficult with Van Dijk because, obviously, you know, both Southampton defenders, arguably Stevens as well, when he's played, have all been on such good form. But, you know, Van Dyke is streets ahead of them, ability-wise, even for who I think Van Dyke showed yesterday, apart from the penalty. He had a really solid game. Um, so I think it's difficult to kind of say, oh, we just shouldn't have started him because, you know, our defenders are on form. 
because one of the things that I pointed out in a match takeaways thing after United was that I still don't think Pellegrino actually knows his best starting eleven yet. I think we've seen a lot of consistencies now. You know, as we've said, that kind of attacking five or six, or if we include Lamina and Romeo, has been the same now for a good couple of game weeks. But I still think he's not a hundred percent sure of what you know. Perhaps his best striker is. Perhaps who his best centre-ship is. So I think. I think I expected Van Dyke to start. I think because Pellegrino's still trying to work out who perhaps is his best partnership. So I think I don't know if Van Dyke will start against Newcastle in a couple of weeks, but it wouldn't surprise me if if he started. He started either alongside who or Stevens rather than Yoshida. If Van Dyke is to start, because I think Pellegrino will, is going to keep trying to work out who his best kind of centre back pairing is. I have to think that at some point it will be Van Dyke and Hoot playing alongside each other week in week out. For a majority of the season, I would say. But I think we have a difficult decision in defense, really, for one reason, in that we have a number of center backs playing well. We have a number of center backs with quality and both that are, that are expected and that have surprised us, I think. Whereas in the attacking third, we kind of have a difficult decision because it doesn't seem like anybody can quite get it done. You know, so you have this, uh, really the only kind of section of the mid, uh, of the field that, that picks itself is, is Romino Lemayu. Uh, and then everything else is, is, I think the manager is open to criticism no matter who he picks. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think one of the big things that I think, obviously, with our strength towards is perhaps playing three at the back. And I remember for a while saying, you know, if we aren't going to get rid of a centre-back and we're going to bring who in, are we going to play three at the back? And then we did against Wolves, and obviously it went badly and we were knocked out of the EFL Cup. So I think I'd like to see us try three at the back again. Perhaps, as you talk about, we've got, you know, so many good defenders that all deserve a shout that, you know, we've even still got, obviously, Bednarek beyond the four that we've already mentioned. So we've got enough centre-backs to potentially play three at the back. And I think that would potentially add, if you want, more competition up front, because rather than four attacking spots, we'd only have three kind of two wingers and a striker or a, or a centre-attacking mid behind two strikers. So I think that could perhaps add more competition up front as well, because I think that's one of the main issues. I think, as you've said, with Tadic and Redmond, beyond maybe Ward, Prowse and Buffer, we don't really have anyone to kind of play down the wing or naturally as a 10 if you exclude Stephen Davis. So I think if we if you cut one of those positions out and all of a sudden, you know, Redmond, Buffer, Tadic, Ward, Prowse, whoever are fighting for two, just two positions behind a striker or one position, I think that could perhaps see an improvement in performances because I think one of the things I've said about Tadic and you know we've said in at Saints Marchand about Tadic is that he kind of knows that he's the best technically in his position so he knows that he's probably going to start or feature in just about every game that he's fit so he doesn't have to work as much and I think he's perhaps lost some of that edge that he had under Koeman who was obviously he was a lot more ruthless with players you know you look at that time when Sadio Mane was late to the players lunch or late to the pre-game meetings so Koeman dropped him or whatever um, I think under Puel and Pellegrino Tadic and perhaps Redmond as well kind of they know that they're probably going to get in the starting eleven. so you, there's perhaps an argument to be made that they don't have to not necessarily don't have to give 100% every game, but perhaps the, they know that if they don't produce an 8 or 9 out of 10 performance, they're probably still going to be in the start 11 next week. Yeah, yeah. Another player that seems to get starts constantly is Nathan Redman. And 
what did you what did you make of his performance yesterday? There were there were several tweets. It seemed like a lot of people after the match were um, disappointed, and, and I think he's drawn some criticism lately because he's he is in the starting eleven every week. I like him, I want to like him, but I'm not sure. You know, maybe after yesterday that he was pulled off fairly early. Do you do you see him struggling, or what? What, what did you make of of him consistently getting a starting spot in that in that role? Yeah, I think it's it's a difficult one. I think one of the main things that I was crying out for over summer was that we needed another kind of pacey player because beyond Redmond and Buffal, you know, you can argue that Shane Long could perhaps play out in a wide role, but beyond Redmond and Buffal, we don't really have any first team players who can play that kind of pacey, kind of run-at-people role. Um, you know, we were linked with Patrick Roberts for a while and stuff like that, and I thought that we needed someone like that because, obviously, we don't have a whole lot of options, um, and I think that's perhaps why Redmond has started a lot. I know a lot of Southampton fans would like to see Buffal more. You know, I'm one of them, but at the same time, I can understand that Buffal hasn't really taken the chances when, when he's been given them. Uh, but I think with Redmond, he's among the top players I know in the Premier League to have had like he's had the most amount of shots without scoring he's up there I can't I'm not sure how many shots he had yesterday but I know going into that game he would had about 21 or 22 or something without scoring which is disappointing because he does try and create stuff but I think one thing that I'd say is it's, it is kind of similar to Redmond of last season you know he was very hot and cold yeah he got nine goals in all competitions or whatever it turned out to be but he, you know, he was getting braces, and then he wasn't scoring in four or five games. So, right. I don't think it's hugely out of character, but I will admit it, it, it's frustrating to kind of see him consistently trying the same thing over and over and over, and not finding the back of the net. So, I think, but perhaps he should get dropped next week, uh, or well, week after, I should say, just to kind of give him the kick up the backside that he perhaps needed. Because if you look at Forster, he got dropped from the England squad. I know he didn't get dropped from the Saints squad, but when he got dropped from the England squad, all of a sudden, I think it could be argued that he had a lot better performances, Watford aside. So I think definitely, I, you know, think Redmond could perhaps do from having the kind of same treatment of going, you know, look, you aren't guaranteed. You know, maybe drop him one week, maybe bring him on as a substitute or whatever. But I think he does perhaps need to be made aware i'm sure he already knows but made aware that he needs to be perhaps creating more than he's brought to the team so far in seven eight starts or whatever he's made yeah yeah and and it is it's it's difficult because i mean everybody reacts differently to the way they're playing you know some players just need a chance to play through it some players react well to getting dropped and it makes them work harder some players they're gonna put their heads down and that's gonna kind of uh, kill their motivation maybe um and and obviously we're not in the locker room, but you have to think or hope at least that, that Pellegrino is noticing these things and, and is working with the players. And um, I still am going to believe that he is, is doing what he sees as, as, as best for the squad. But we, I mean, we have to start scoring goals. Um, I think at this point still, you know, just not, not enough, not enough goals, maybe five goals for the season. That's just not good enough through seven games. No, definitely not. Um, I'm still very much supporting a Pellegrino. I know a lot of people have said, you know, his tactical decisions are a bit off, his substitutions are a bit bad. But, you know, one thing that people said with Frank de Boer when he was kind of sacked after four games at Palace is, you know, look, he's invest, he's kind of inherited, sorry, uh, you know, a, a Sam Allardyce squad and you want them to play like Ajax. Well, obviously, you look at the Saints squad yesterday and bar Lamina in the midfield, it's the exact same lineup that Claude Puel could have listed last year 
Right. I think in January, I'd like to see maybe 20 million or so in investment. I think sign another attacking player, perhaps sign someone else for depth. And then I think if Pellegrino still isn't kicking on with, you know, as many as perhaps four or five of his signings, if you would, I know, obviously he's not the one that conducts them, but, you know, four or five of the players that have been brought in under his kind of tenure, I think if we're still not doing too well, then I think perhaps questions can be made then. But I think for now, when he's playing with what is perhaps not his perfect team, I think we still have to kind of give some leeway to him rather than kind of instantly say that he needs to be sacked or whatever. Yeah, I, I, I can't I can't get behind the idea of, of getting rid of him yet. I think he's I think he's smart, but I think it takes time. And you can't you can't really expect him to change everything without without the players to do so. To play a certain type of football when when the people just aren't aren't there to do it. So I think he's doing the best he can. And the substitutions people have made uh that they've been late in games and, and not giving guys a chance to impact. But yesterday um, he made some substitutions and he made them much earlier than, than he had in the past um, on 60 minutes before comes in for Davis. Uh, that puts something that I think is, is difficult in, in both Tadich and Buffal on the field at the same time. Um, and then Gabby Dini came on for Redmond not long after that uh, in the 67th minute. So I think that gave, I think, I think that those were both good ideas and, and that we weren't creating enough and you're going to put some, you know, a creative player in and then a, a move long out wide for some pace and put Gabby Dini up front to, to create some movement off the ball and hopefully us, uh, us be able to find him with some runs. So I think, I think those are good. And I think he is, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm pleased with the job he's doing so far. Um, I'm not sure there's much, I mean, he can't go score the goals or play defense for us. So no, <laughs> unfortunately I th- I think he would go out and do it uh, just, just fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was listening to the Total Saints podcast with Adam Leach and 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 Ben Stanfield, and they uh, Adam was saying that they've asked Pellegrino repeatedly about the possibility of playing two up front, and and part of what he said was, you know, look at the big teams, look at any big team in any of the top five leagues, and how many of them are playing two strikers up top, and and yeah. I guess his answer is is not very many. He goes, that's not where we're we're aiming. So that idea for us, you know, we have to create elsewhere. We have to be able to, you know, it's not just about the strikers. It's about uh, the midfield and even even the fullbacks being able to to create chances yeah. for us. And and we're just not doing that yet. No, no, I agree. I think I I would like to see two strikers up front, perhaps purely for the sake of change. You know, two up two up front. It's kind of a very almost old school formation now as you've said you look at man united you know you look at chelsea you look at tottenham you look at any of the bigger teams perhaps maybe man city when before sergio aguero got that um that injury through that unfortunate car crash they were obviously playing two up front there but at the same time there is you know definitely less teams playing two strikers up front but i think for the sake of change you know we complained when Puel rotated and tinkered and everything a lot, but I think the four-two-three-one, or kind of almost like a four-three-three that we've been using for kind of the past few weeks, or for at least for the majority of the season, I think the fact that it's still not producing goals, I think there's only so long that you can kind of persist with something without trying something for the sake of change. And I think two up front is perhaps the answer. It might not work, but I think if Pellegrino at least shows that he's willing to kind of adapt to survive if you would then i think he'd not only win back a lot of the supporters but it could work we could score and we could win kind of thing so yeah yeah and and i think if we go to to up front i think some people 
you know, the first formation I think it was four four two, and that, like you said, that is old school. I think ho- hopefully what we would do with the we were talking about earlier with the center back situation would be you know a three five two or something like something along those lines. I don't know, like you said, it would be a change. It would give it would give our fullbacks a lot of a lot more freedom to get forward and play as wingbacks, and I think both both Cedric and Bertrand uh, can do that. I know Bertrand used to play further forward in earlier in his career and then moved to fullback kind of later on, which I think he's, he's done brilliantly uh, in that role. But I think him and Cedric both enjoy yep. moving forward uh, quite a bit. So uh, I think that would be, that would be good. Um, but, I, but I guess looking kind of more specifically at, at the match, obviously we go into halftime down one nil. I think the marking on the corner is, is fairly poor. You got several Southampton players around. I think it was Doof who scored. If I'm, I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, but you, you got several, right, several, several players around him, and nobody, nobody attacks the ball. Nobody's attached to Doof's hip. Nobody's jumping with him. Nobody attacks the ball, and that is just not going to get it done on a, on a corner. That's you know you got you have one job. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I agree on that. I mean, I know Doof was playing almost as like a right wing back that game but spent the majority of his career as a striker I'm pretty sure so he's obviously got the ability to kind of be in the box and score I know he's never really been that prolific since playing for Stoke but you know the fact that we didn't really pick him up just there there's no kind of defense for that there's you know you could argue old Van Dyke's not played that much first team football you know blah 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 Yoshida's unpredictable whatever but I I don't think there's any real defense for bad marking on corners I think that's obviously or hopefully something Pellegrino will address when you know they come back after the international break or whatever Um, because it's a sloppy goal you know we had obviously less chances than Stoke in the game but we dominated on possession and everything like that so I think to go and concede such a sloppy goal quite close to half time if I'm not wrong I think it was about the 39th 40th minute you know going into half time nil nil you know there's a whole different kind of you know like feeling in the dressing room so I think the fact that we conceded very close to it through arguably fault of our own was definitely disappointing yeah yeah and I mean then you have Almost immediately, you have the the issue where Van Dyke, whether he dangles the leg out or not, or whether you know the Stoke player goes down a bit easily, uh, we gave away a penalty almost immediately, and and up steps Fraser Forrester to make I think what was his third kind of big save of the of the first half, and and like you said earlier, he was dropped from the England squad before. Uh, he really seems to have changed uh, his approach and maybe got a bit more intense, and looks like he's playing really really well. And then you know he steps up, makes a penalty save, and I think. I think we were in real danger at that point of of being taken completely out of the game, down two nil, that close to halftime. Uh, I can't imagine that our confidence going into the dressing room would have been uh, great. And I think actually him making that save probably is the only lift we had coming out of or going into the, into halftime. Yeah, I agree. I think we had Sky Sports's Soccer Saturday on downstairs, and my dad came in when he heard the penalty shout and was just like, "Right, if we can see, that's you know, that's that's." the game lost I can't see us scoring three goals in any game let alone to come back from 2-0 down so I think I think Forster's save was potentially match defined and we could have gone on to win um off the back of it I think it did probably did good things for Van Dyke personally I think you know his kind of whole attitude perhaps would have been a lot worse or his kind of morale would have been a lot worse if he'd conceded a penalty and then we'd conceded from the actual spot kick itself um, so I think there was probably a weight off his shoulders when Forster saved it. But I think what what you said about Forster kind of having that kick up his backside now he's back in the England squad after getting dropped, something that we obviously mentioned earlier, I think. 
I think Forster has been producing a lot more. I know if we talk about the Watford game where, you know, that was a little bit of his fault, but I think since then, I think, you know, he's actually been one of our best and arguably most consistent performers. Right. So I think, you know, it was nice to see him perhaps get the backing. I know he still has some doubt as I'm still sometimes question his ability to get across the line, but I think it was nice to see him get that personally as well because I know he still has I think that's probably only like his isn't it something like his second penalty save for Southampton of from like 11 he's faced or something it took him like 9 or 10 penalties to actually save one so the fact that he seems to be keeping more out than conceding at the moment is probably quite a good thing yeah uh yeah I know he saved a penalty last year at Liverpool uh against James Milner um that's the one but oh I guess coming out of that match yesterday in 12th place any any kind of thoughts on on final thoughts on the on the match or anything like that? Any any players maybe that we haven't talked about yet that stood out to you either that played well or or played really poorly? Um, I think we've pretty much pretty much covered just about kind of everyone that had perhaps a a bad or a good game. I think again from the fullbacks, one thing I've started to see increasingly is that their service isn't up to scratch under Puel and under Pellegrino. Still, we put a kind of a lot of emphasis on Bertrand and Cedric kind of getting as many balls into the boxes as they can and pushing forward. Um, I'm not sure of the statistics, but I don't think either of them have gotten an assist this season. I might be wrong on that one. Um, whereas last season, I'm pretty sure Bertrand was up there with equaling or kind of near enough one of our top assisters last season. I think he got either four or five and that tied in with um, Ward, Prowse and Tadic. I know obviously, you know, there's... It's, an early, it's still early in the season. Pellegrino's only been in charge for, what, eight proper kind of competitive matches. Right. So it's still early, but I think a lot of players aren't necessarily performing badly, but I think there's a lot that perhaps haven't kind of stepped up and produced the kind of performance that they, we've come to expect from them. Yeah, it definitely seems, uh, you know, you look two or three years ago, uh, the team under Kuman, we look yeah. a lot different. You know, we don't look maybe as confident. Yeah, definitely. I can remember um, we played Man City and that was a, a game that was televised here on, on normal television. I remember waking up and just going like, you know, we showed up ready to play and, and go after a team that is much bigger than us without kind of any kind of argument. And, yeah. and now we look almost a bit timid going into a place like Stoke where you would think that that team under Kuman would be, would be more willing to, to kind of go there and just impose themselves. But you know, I don't know where that comes from, whether it's the players we have or whether it's the mentality or the, you know, what it is. I'm not going to blame it on anything, but it's just there is, I think, a noticeable difference there. Yeah, I agree. I think even under Pochettino before Kuman, we got quite a few uh, scalps from some of the bigger teams and kind of excluding Liverpool in the uh, cup last season when obviously Shane Long scored that kind of that goal that just made Puel kind of go absolutely crazy. I think besides that game, I can't remember the last time that we kind of pulled off like a real, real impressive result against like a bigger team. So I think, you know, I agree. I think there's definitely an argument to be made that perhaps the mentality going into games is slightly different. I think maybe under Kuman and Pochettino, they went into games thinking that they could beat just about anyone. And sometimes it obviously went wrong, but you know, evidently by, you know, whatever we got under Kuman, I think it was sixth that we got. Um, I think evidently it worked. I think perhaps the fact that under Puel, we were very much setting up to get draws. Arguably, I think one of the most frustrated I've been as a Southampton fan was in the kind of recent time. I think it was the Liverpool game. 
the one that you mentioned with Milner's penalty. And I just remember there was an opportunity for us to counter-attack when it was nil-nil in about 88th, 89th, maybe even 90th minute. And I just remember rather than absolutely kind of busting their gut to kind of get clean through, Shane Long just kind of jogged it towards the halfway line and no one really ran up with him. So I think there's perhaps, perhaps there's, they're not as, not necessarily ambitious, but perhaps they're, some of the players are kind of more used to now settling for a point rather than, you know, risking it to get three and coming away with none, perhaps. Um, but as you said, you have no idea kind of what the mentality of the players are, whether that's the issue, whether it's the players we've brought in or anything like that. But I do agree, you know, we, you know, at the start of this season, I thought Swansea, you know, I thought, sweet, probably going to get a win. We drew. Huddersfield, I know that they have, you know, come up, but we were perhaps their best, like, biggest test of the season, and we drew. So I think there's definitely something that's changed, but whatever we, what it, what it is, you know, it's kind of quite difficult for us to, as fans, to put our finger on it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I, th- I think we've, we've done the, the game as much as we can do without just analyzing every single move um the second half similar to the first half but i think we were i think i I think we were in the game for most of it we just like we said the final third is not is not happening for us at this point no um and we can say it every week on every podcast and in every article but it's just it's just the kind of the way it goes but uh we have some listener questions here and jason brereton who's at jason the biff on Twitter says surely Redmond should be dropped and we play with two up front. Uh, we kind of talked about this a little bit. Um, d- do you agree? Redmond has to be dropped now and, and get the, the kick up the backside. I think that's what we decided earlier. Yeah. I think if we are to drop Redmond, I think what you mentioned earlier with the idea of perhaps playing like three, five, two having Bertrand and Cedric wide, then maybe playing Lamina and then Romeo behind perhaps Tadic and then, you know, maybe probably Long and Gaviadini would be the better kind of partnership for a two up front, although that's debatable. I think sure. if we are going to drop Redmond to play two up front, I think we need we need some kind of other outlet of pace. If that makes sense, I'm very uh, you know I'm very pace reliant, evidently by the fact that I've said we needed another quick attacking player. But I think if you take Redmond out and play two up front. Unless we're to perhaps bring Bufal in, then you're looking at, you know, like Ward Prowse and Tadic and Davis kind of being the attacking players, you know, that we'd have supporting the two up front. So I think if Redmond is dropped, then I think three five two that we've suggested does sound like, you know, it could potentially work. But I think whether we drop Redmond or whether play two up whether we play two up front, that might be not necessarily too much of a shake-up, but I think maybe drop Redmond for one game and try two up front for another game would perhaps be the way to go about it rather than literally, you know, starting from the drawing board again. Yeah, okay. Dan Hargraves, who you know well, uh, works, writes for you guys and uh, obviously does the YouTube channel and things like that. Yeah. Been on the show before. Uh, he's at Dan Hargraves, SFC, and he says, how many points does Chris think we can get in October or should get in October, he says. Um, and just in, so we know what the matches are, uh, obviously two weeks of international break. So uh, October 15th, we have Newcastle at home. October 21st, we have West Brom at home. And then we go away to Brighton, uh, which will be a big game on the 29th. So of those, of those nine possible points, how many do you think we should be should be taking home during that spell? Um Obviously, I kind of like to hope that we could perhaps get seven, um, two wins and 
a draw, but I think more likely, I think we probably get five from that. I think West Brom and Newcastle will be two very kind of gritty games. I think obviously Newcastle have Benitez, West Brom have Pulis. You know, you know how they're going to set up. You know that they're going to be quite defensively orientated and kind of snatch and grab teams. So I think nil-nil, one-all draws, probably more likely against Newcastle. Um and West Brom. I think the West Brom game's on telly as well, and we always seem to be cursed when we're on television anyway. Uh, but I think Brighton, I'd like to see us win. You know, it feels quite bad as a Southampton fan to think about playing a promoted team and to think, oh, we might not actually win. It's actually quite down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not. <laughs> it's quite disheartening. <laughs> but I'd like to think, with all respect to Brighton, that we could potentially pull out a win there. I think if we're to go into that game with two draws like I think we'll do, then that would be, what, no win in four so i think they might go into it perhaps a little bit more kind of with fire in their bellies knowing you know this is a team we could pick up a win against um so uh, you know brighton are a good team but i think i would like to see us go out and have like a nice performance against them maybe score a couple keep a clean sheet as well um so i'd love for us to get seven but i think my answer would be to dan i think we'll probably get five okay um and i mean right now it's not this isn't fun to say but West Brom and Newcastle sitting just above us uh, in the table at 10th and 11th and then, uh, or sorry, at 9th and 10th. And I mean, if you kind of look at, at goals, goals four, uh, we have five and they're both sitting on, on, on six. So they're not scoring a ton of goals early. And I know we've been kind of talking about the lack of goals, but if you really look down the Premier League outside the top six, maybe seven, you know, it's six, 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 five, five, seven, uh, four, Leicester scored nine, but they've given up 12. Um, you know, so the teams outside of really the top six that you would expect to score goals are not scoring. Um, no. it, it's kind of, it seems to be a, a bit of a theme. And so I think sometimes we get wrapped up in not looking outside of our squad and only focusing on the, the issues that we have, which we should, because we are, this is the team that we care the most about. But, you know, there are, I think there are other things, uh, to be said about the lack of goal scoring, uh, from teams mid table and below which I think I am not, I don't know, maybe well able to, to kind of put it all in perspective properly, but it is something that I've been looking at and noticing over the past kind of few, few matches, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I didn't actually realize how little I knew kind of some certain teams that had scored hardly anything. Like I knew obviously Everton managed by Koeman have barely scored so far this season obviously we know about Palace because I'm pretty sure they still haven't scored Correct. I don't know if they scored yet I don't know if they scored yesterday but they no. went into it scoring but it is true I think I think the thing that perhaps annoys Southampton fans is we were at the top of that pile last season so perhaps with the greatest respect to teams like Swansea Stoke obviously beat us all the teams that are around us we perhaps you know try to compare ourselves to not necessarily better teams. I mean, it's very difficult to say at this point who's going to be that kind of team in, you know, ninth, tenth, or whatever like that. But I, I honestly, I hadn't picked up how many, how little other teams had scored. I think it was we were so fixated as Southampton supporters on the fact that, you know, we still haven't scored so many. But I think, you know, we obviously got used to scoring so many because of how well we were doing under Kuman. I think right. his last season we scored. 59 goals yeah I want to say like that you know which is near enough you know for math's sake probably what 1.7 a game coming up to two a game so yeah 
But I think Mane, you know, is arguably the best Southampton player we've seen since returning to the Premier League. He's just, he's absolutely incredible. You know, we had Pella who could actually head at the ball. That's something I think we still lack from the squad. Is just a striker that we can just lump a ball into and he'll always kind of grab you five or six goals a season just through that. Um, and obviously Tadic was kind of playing much more out of his skin than he does nowadays. So I think right. we do get fixated on the lack of goals. But then, you know, we think about the teams like West Brom, who've scored similar amounts. I know they scored a couple yesterday. But I think it's the fact that we got used to that idea that we, you know, we, we're Southampton. We've played attractive football since returning to the Premier League. We don't, you know, sit back, you know, arguably like we did under Puel. So I think perhaps, you know, the goals aren't as bad. You know, when you look at how teams around us are performing, especially obviously Everton, who spent all that money. But I think, including myself, it comes from the fact that we can look back to two years ago. Um, I know that Pella scored that wonderful goal against QPR two years ago, some point last week. So I remember seeing Southampton's tweet, and I think we perhaps got used to the attractive football we played under Kuhn and Pochettino. And perhaps, you know, we should get used to the fact that, you know, perhaps we aren't going to be scoring as many goals anymore, you know, so long as we stay in the Premier League. Is that really an issue? Um, but I think it is a difficult one. You know, we've had kind of the taste, if you would, of what it's like to be quite a free scoring team and now that we're having to kind of proper dig deep to find goals i think it is disappointing but i think as you've said i don't think it's the end of the world right um yeah so it it, it is an issue and and like you said we've we've definitely been spoiled over the past few years about the with yeah. the style and the results i think and um hopefully that continues hopefully we get back to that but yesterday when you look at the match you know, 70% possession, um, 17 attempts, but only two of them on target. Like maybe we're creating chances, but the, those, uh, I guess the expected goals, uh, probably aren't that high. And I've heard a lot of people kind of get down on us. And you hear, when you hear, um, you know, I listen to uh, a couple other just kind of mainstream football podcasts and nobody's very high on Southampton. They kind of are, are talking down about the way we're playing currently. And it, it makes me mad, but it, maybe, maybe I'm just, being a homer and I want it, and I think we're, we're doing a little bit better than we really are. So I don't know. We will see, but um, I don't know if that, that kind of does it for me in terms of, of the match and, and the questions that we have. Uh, you have anything else that you'd like to add? I don't think so. I think we've covered just about everything in plenty of detail. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I really enjoyed this. And I just wanted to ask you kind of one more question uh, going into this uh, sports journalism kind of career. Now that you're out, out of university and things like that, do you have in your head, like a, you can have one interview. Doesn't matter who it's with. Anybody in the sporting world. Doesn't matter what sport. Anything. Uh, who who would you like to sit down with and, and have an interview with? It's a very good question, actually. I think because one the one obvious answer when I was a kid, my favourite footballer was Matt Letizier. Mm-hmm. But I've actually had the pleasure of interviewing him a couple of times. And actually, um, two of the Saints Marchins contributors, Ben and Luke, they actually interviewed both him and Franny Benali at a kind of anniversary thing for my course a couple of weeks ago um i think obviously we've mentioned um before we started that i'm a massive basketball fan um and obviously because they're it's so kind of far away and i'm so distanced from it you know one of the basketball players from my team would be amazing but i think it's difficult to say from a southampton perspective um it's perhaps cliche but i think gareth bale is you know he's the best player i've seen um kind of through my lifetime leave Southampton to go on to such amazing things you know to be the kind of starting winger from Real Madrid so I think football wise I think Gareth Bale would be my dream interview um, and from basketball it'd probably be Russell Westbrook all right and how would you how would you want to do that would that be like a 
sit down formal in the locker room or in the press room or would you want to go like just have a beer and talk probably the latter i think i think make it a, a bit less set a bit less formal i think you know you can read just about everything about someone from you know all the kind of press room interviews you know not that there's anything wrong with that but i think if you were to kind of sit down and perhaps ask some of the kind of unorthodox stuff um perhaps ask stuff more not necessarily personal about them but you know find out you know slightly different stuff about them than kind of the cliche i think if you know you were sitting down and sharing a beer with them that'd be the kind of situation that you'd be able to kind of dig kind of dig around and find different stuff out yeah i think if you uh you know you put them in the press room and automatically there's a sort of shield that goes up or a kind of a you know a thought process that they have that they've done this before they've been here before this is this these are the answers i give to these questions whereas if you get them outside of that and let them maybe just be themselves a little bit more um yeah you know you get something a little bit new and and interesting and i think that's i think that's ultimately what we're all kind of after when we sit down to interview anybody yeah well uh chris i'd like to thank you so much for for doing this and just remind everybody that they can follow you on twitter at chris hughes 1996 and they can find saints marching on twitter at saints marching underscore uh the links to the website and the twitter accounts are in the show notes but uh thank you so much for giving me your time Uh, i know it's the middle of the afternoon and uh i really do appreciate you you doing this no worries. Thank you for having me on. All right. And we'll, uh, we'll do this again. Yes, definitely. Definitely. We'll, uh, we'll give it a while. We'll let, we'll see if Southampton actually change and then we can reflect on what we said now and see if we were right or wrong. Absolutely. Sounds good to me. Cheers, man. Later. And once again, that was my conversation with Chris Hughes. You can get him on Twitter at Chris Hughes 1996, and you can find Saints Marching at Saints Marching underscore. The link to their website is also in the show notes, so be sure to check them out. I'd like to thank Chris for giving me his time. He does a lot of wonderful things over at Saints Marching. It's part of the fan sided network, which is a large and far reaching uh, fan kind of site uh, or, or series of sites, I should say. So uh, be sure to head on over there and check it out. If you have another uh, sports team that you do like, whether it's American basketball or or football or whatever, they probably have a fan-sided site dedicated to that. So you should check that out as well. Um, I don't know why I'm giving them this huge long plug for fan-sided. Um, they're not paying me for this. So anyway, we will move on. Um, this next interview is with Kirsty Bell. And she is the captain of the Southampton Women's Football Club. And if you recall, over the summer, I spoke with Lee Callender, who is uh, the assistant manager of the Southampton Women's Football Club. And we discussed possibly doing some stuff with their team. I spoke with Kirsty about the double winning season last year, about gaining promotion, playing the game, uh, about all kinds of other things. So I hope that you enjoy it. And here is my conversation with Kirsty Bell. Uh, we'd like to welcome to the Southampton Delivery Podcast a very special guest. We have Kirsty Bell, the captain of the Southampton Women's Football Club, uh, here to join us and talk a little bit about the team. Uh, Kirsty, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the show. Hi, yeah. Thank you very much for inviting me on. It's a pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, it's a, the the pleasure is mine. And uh, as I, as we were saying earlier, I I really enjoyed talking to Lee over the summer, and uh, we kind of had this idea to do this. And I think this is uh, this is great for uh, especially fun for me. And I and I hope uh, you enjoy it as well. And hopefully, uh, we can spread some awareness and uh, about the women's game and things like that. So. First off, uh, if people want to follow you on Twitter, they can do that at K-I-R-S-T-1937. Uh, and the women's club is at S-O-T-O-N Women's F-C. Uh, all on Twitter and the links are in the show notes. Um, but Kirsty, this show is normally about saints. So I have to ask you, are you indeed a saints fan? And if not, this interview may be very short. So, 
Hi, I am indeed. Um, I'm a season ticket holder and I have been for about 20 years, 22 years, through the uh, highs and the lows. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, where do you sit, if I can ask? Um, I sit right in the heart of the northern end next to the away fans. And you like that? Yeah, I love it. I wouldn't change it. <laughs> How long have you been in that in that area? Um, I've been in that area since uh, since we moved to St. Mary's from the Dell. Um, but no, it's, it's just a good atmosphere. Um, I wouldn't want to sit in the library end. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I just I just like being involved and you know singing along. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, are you originally from the area of Southampton, or are you from somewhere else and you moved there at a young age? Or um, I'm actually from uh, Winchester, which is is about twenty minutes um, north of Southampton. Um, lived in Winchester pretty much all my life, and uh, yeah, I, I just travelled to the Saints games and travelled to play for Southampton. All right, all right. Um, today, the the kind of goal is to talk more about you and more about the 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 women's team, um, and and I guess to kind of get to know you a little bit. And and feel free to say like no, I'm not answering that to any of these. Um, but but growing up, did you have uh, a favorite footballer, whether it be Saints or a a, a woman uh, playing or wh- anybody that stood out to you as you were growing up? It was it has always been Matt Lucizier. Um He's always been my idol, um, and yeah, he's always he's always been the one I wanted to watch. Watched all his DVDs, and obviously going to Dow, watching him score. Uh, he's always been pretty amazing. Did you uh, go into the Dell when you were going to the Dell? Uh, you have family and things that went with you. Did anybody go with you, or was it just where you were kind of alone in your support of of Saints? Uh, no, I've uh, my mum and myself go together. Um, we've already had a season two together, and from this season, we've also got my niece coming along with us too. So it's pretty good. And, and I know you play for the women's team, and that you guys play usually just Sundays, correct? Or do you sometimes? I know you sometimes have midweek games, but mostly is it just on the weekends? Yeah, it's it's pretty much normally a two o'clock kickoff on a Sunday and the occasional midweek game. Um, so generally means what what do you do during the day uh, when you're not playing football? Um, I work. Um, I work in a primary school teacher as a PE teacher. Um, I've been there twelve years, where I also run the nurture group and helping different children. Um, and used to be a tennis coach. Now, primary school PE teacher. Does that mean you have to teach all of the different classes, all of the different age groups, and everybody kind of rotates through through you? Um, that's how it, yeah. that, generally that's yeah. how they so, do it. In the um, state, I basically so. cover all the sorry, I basically cover all the um the outdoor PE during the teachers PPA like planning sessions. Okay. So the teachers are responsible for the indoor the indoor stuff, and I uh, take all the outdoor stuff. What do you do when it rains? Because we were talking that it kind of happens a lot. In, um, into the I gym. I tend to go through it really. Yeah. Unless it's unless it's really bad and hideous, then I'll take them into the sports hall. But no, we try and stick it out. Really, I think it's good for them. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> um, now, talking more about your your football career, and you're going to hear me say soccer because I'm I'm from America, and it's kind of habit. I have to force myself to say football every time. Still, okay. but during your your football career, what is it? What has it been like? You haven't always played for Southampton, but but kind of lead us through, and you can start kind of wherever you want. But what was your playing career like up until now? Um, yeah, well, it was a very long time ago, being 33 now. Um, I started um, at a young age playing with a boys' team um, at the times where you could play mixed age up until I think it was 13, just for a local team in the village. I then moved on to a all-girls team, played there for a few years. And then at 16, I, I actually went and played for Saints when they were linked to the men's club. And then after Saints, I went to AFC Bournemouth, AFC Wimbledon, and then 
here I found myself at Southampton Women. All right. Um, how how you've been at at the Southampton Women's Club for? I think I think you said like seven years or so. Yeah, I think it's about seven eight years. Yeah. During that time, how how did you come to be the captain of of the squad, which you are now? Oh goodness. Um, I don't know really. When I first joined, uh, there was obviously already a captain there who was very good. Um, I don't know. I don't really know really. I think she she gradually moved on, and when she left, I was made captain. Um, and it just it just stayed the same in the last few years, I guess. Had had you ever had you been a captain on any of the other previous teams? No, I haven't. No. Um, so um, it was a first, but yeah. Do you feel like an added sense of of responsibility or pressure being the captain or now that you've been it for a couple of years, it's just kind of, just kind of normal. Um, parts of it are, are normal and kind of go with the flow, but I think you do still feel the pressure and, um, you do feel the responsibility, especially in the big games. And obviously last season when we were so successful, you do, you know, have a sense of pride when you're lifting the cup and the trophy, I guess. Talking about last season, can you kind of describe the end of the season for me um, in terms of winning the double that, I mean, that's obviously two huge accomplishments and winning promotion and all of that. Uh, what, what did, what did that feel like as a, as a player, even though you've had a fairly lengthy career, um, had you ever experienced anything like that before? No, I hadn't. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, we had a, a bit of a rough season. Uh, we didn't have many players, weren't sure what was happening. Um, and then we, we pulled together and, we obviously got promoted two seasons in a row. Last season, we always set ourselves high, high targets and, you know, big goals. But, you know, to, to win promotion and the cup was, was amazing, really. It was, it was a really good feeling. Everyone, everyone was on board. The reserves also had a great season within their league, completely unbeaten. So the club, the club had a really good, you know, good feeling. You've gone through some transition in terms of, of, of coaches and, and, even the club secretary and all of these other things, um, has that kind of changed how you, like, has there been a big culture shift at the club or is it just kind of now everything seems to, to click a little bit better or, or it, can you talk about that at all? Yeah, sure. Um, so obviously when I first started, it was maybe a little bit more casual. Some, some might describe it as, and then obviously we had Fran Alonso come in who was, who was brilliant for us at a time where we were struggling for numbers, maybe a bit of motivation for some players. Results weren't great, but, he came in with uh, Simon as his coach and we had a new secretary, a new backroom staff who all worked like really hard and it just continued to grow really and you can you can see like all the hard work behind the scenes and the results on the pitch. I think I think we all make a great a great team together and uh I think that's showing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, I don't like to talk about uh, injuries and things like that too much. And some people don't want to talk about them at all, but you had an injury, uh, in, in June and that was, a- that was after everything was said and done with the, the league and the, and the cup. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. And then, so coming back over the summer, trying to get back to, to full fitness and, and get out there, has that been, has that been tough for you? Um, yeah, it's, it's been tough. Um, uh, yeah, as you said, I was out from June. I missed all the preseason. So I've recently just come back maybe in the last. Four or five weeks, uh, trained for a couple of weeks and then I've, I've had a few games in the reserves, um, to try and get my fitness back and try and join in the first team squad. Um, when we played pool town midweek, I got, I got 25 minutes of the first team. I got another 90 last week, the reserves, and then we'll see what happens tomorrow. 
Okay. Are you feeling? Are you starting to feel like you're like you're back, or do you do you feel parts of of it not not quite ready? No, no. I'm feeling I'm feeling good. Um, I feel I've worked hard. Um, you know, ultimately you want to be back playing week in week out at the highest level you can, and and that's my aim. And I'm pretty much feeling back to full fitness at the moment. Okay. Now you mentioned you were uh, you're 33. I'm I'm 32, and I go out and play with uh, a bunch of kids. Some of them that I coached. I'm a high school teacher, so some of them I didn't coach. I taught them, and uh, you know they they obviously they they get not obviously they get a little bit surprised when they see me out there because I don't really you know I didn't talk about that in class, and then now they're they're playing against me, but playing against kids who are are younger, and I'm still going to call them kids even though they're 21 to 25. Um, do you? Do you see yourself a little bit differently being kind of one of the elders on the team uh, and playing against uh, the girls that maybe are a little bit younger? Or do you do you just kind of when you get out there you just you just play and and they're just a, an opponent or a teammate or anything else? Yeah, it does it doesn't bother me in the slightest. I mean, our team itself has a a good variation of ages, a few more experienced, I'll put it, <laughs> and a few younger ones. And um, no, when we come up against opposition team, you can it's the same with them as well. And Actually, I think sometimes the experience and the, you know, the physical edge helps, helps you against the younger ones who maybe sometimes are slightly more naive, but obviously, obviously they're up and coming and it's, and it's really good for the game. Yeah, absolutely. This year, you guys obviously moved up a league, um, for the second year in a row, as you said. Have, have you noticed anything differently? Is there a big difference between the league this year that you're in and, and the, the league you were in last year? Or is it kind of just, more of the same and just seems to be like maybe you guys have progressed at the same time as everybody else and, and you're and you're kind of you know I guess well adjusted to the league you guys are undefeated at this point so it seems like it's going okay but d- does it feel any different when you're out there watching the teams that you're playing against or playing against them um yeah I think I think there is a bit of a jump between the leagues from last season certainly um there are a few really good strong teams in the league um I'd say the intensity of the game is a lot quicker um the demands are, are higher but I think I think we're more than ready for it, which our first few games have shown. Yeah, um, and obviously you have a big game coming up tomorrow. Uh, this interview won't be out by then, but uh, you're playing against I, I, what I would perceive to be one of one of your biggest rivals. But I'll ask you a little bit about that in, in a second. But um, in terms of, of the team this season, what are what what kind of targets have you guys set out? Whether it's as a as a club or just as as players in the locker room or just you individually what kind of what what are your targets this year in terms of uh, of the league and and your play um well obviously we want to do the best we can and win as many games we can um i know it's a bit of a cliche but we do take each game each week as it comes but we always set out to win it and we're we're more than confident in our own abilities we we want to be up there you know pushing the others for the league at the end of the season you've been playing now for for a long time um you know, you mentioned that you do taking your niece with you to the Southampton games. Um, do you do you see yourself kind of as a as a role model to uh, the girls that you teach and your niece and things like that to show them that they can play football for as long as they want or play sport or do succeed kind of wherever they want, even though I think. Obviously, the men's game is, is is bigger and gets more media attention unless it's uh, like like with the England national team, uh, the ladies recently, it's been kind of a, 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 in a negative light. Um, but is that a conscious thing that you're kind of thinking about as you're talking to your niece and, and talking to the kids at school? Or is it just you just kind of play and then you encourage them when they when they want it? No, like I do. I do um, see myself as a role model. I mean, it's good that my niece, she's 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 really keen on playing. Um she loves she loves playing. She she loves to ask questions. I go and watch her games. She comes to watch my games. Um, she's a mascot for us 
uh, in our cup final last year. But also the, the children at school, like the boys and the girls. Um, I take I take the uh, year five six um, football team club, and and they love it. And they're always asking questions of like whether I've played at the weekend, you know, goals, results, things like that. And when I when I take them to tournaments and matches and. Other schools tend to normally have a male teacher involved. Our children, our children love it. That's so awesome. I think, I think it's good for them. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, kind of. I, I mean, I played I played baseball my entire life, and I was uh, baseball players are very very kind of superstitious about how they lead up yeah. to a game and everything else. Um, and I was no different. Uh, what about you? Are you at all superstitious? Do you have any pre match rituals <laughs> that you have to go uh, with? Yeah, well, I'm I'm generally very superstitious and very OCD anyway. So yeah, um, I I have a lot of routines and rituals which the girls tend to just let me get on with and sort myself <laughs> out. Really. <laughs> do you get Do you get nervous before before matches still, or do you are you kind of just um, even keel? No, like it's more exciting, like especially for tomorrow's game. Can't wait for that one. Um, maybe maybe a few nerves before like cup finals or like league winning games, but generally. Generally, no, we're all, we're all pretty confident and believe in each other and work hard as a team. I don't really think think I ever get nervous. Uh, you have a, a favorite teammate to sit next to on an away trip? Tricky <laughs> one. Well, we we de- we tend to um, unless it's the really far games, we tend to travel like with ourselves or arrange our own cars. So okay, um, it normally goes location off. So I do tend to travel with the same same few people but yeah and i am superstitious as to where i sit in the change room but <laughs> <laughs> all right um looking back have you played against one particular opponent that really stands out to you as maybe being um, like the when, best when i yeah well when i first started playing um i played against some really good players um there was a, a couple at everton arsenal charlton who were just so good and so strong and physical, and I think they went on to play for England. And you're always going to remember those those opponents. You have a a particular career highlight that stands out. If there was one moment in your career that that you remember, and and when people ask this question, this cliche question that you bring up. <laughs> um, well, I'd probably now I'd probably say last year's league winning and cup winning season in the trophy. Probably my career highlight. I mean, it was a really good successful season at, at the Southampton women's football club who is your your biggest rival um what as in another team yeah yeah sorry well obviously obviously Portsmouth are always going to be uh the rival um just as the whole history between Southampton and Portsmouth but whereas they're in another league it's we're only going to meet them in the cup for the time being but Obviously, there's Saints, so there's there's two two female teams in Southampton, and uh, yeah, so at the moment it's it's probably them. Okay. I mean, they've always they've always been at least two leagues above us, and now and now we're in the same league, and they're probably probably not liking that too much. But you know, we're we're thriving, in it and we can't wait for the game tomorrow. Yeah. Um. So I don't know. I always had my my coach that I had always said, you know, envision yourself doing something kind of, you know, great. When you go to bed the night before, you got to think about all this stuff. And so I, I tend to to do that. Um, but so say tomorrow you score the winner. How does it happen? Describe it. How uh, how how will we remember that goal that you score tomorrow if it's if it's the winner? Um. Wow, tricky question. I, I I'm not particularly known for my goal scoring. Um. I, I mean, I take the free kick from the penalties, but. Apart from that, I'm not I'm not really known for them. So, 
I, I wouldn't I wouldn't forget it in a hurry, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure we'll all be very, very happy. But at the end of the day, it, it is just another three points. And there's no point beating Saints if we're then going to go and lose to whoever next week. Right. All right. All right. Um, some, some listeners sent in some questions and your coach was one of them. Uh, do you mind if we go ahead and <laughs> ask you some of those? No, no, no. Fire away. All right. Um, so a couple here, one guy asked you if you can lend Southampton some goals, but we'll just let that one go. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, would be helpful. VJ Chopra, uh, who's at VJ said, did the team expect their great start? Uh, given they were newly promoted to the WPL? Um, I, w- I wouldn't say it's a, a massive surprise. Um, we believed in ourselves. We've, we've worked hard as a team to reach this point. Um, obviously, I, I wasn't involved in pre-season, but everyone has worked really hard to get fit, training hard, working together on and off the pitch. Um, so, no, I wouldn't really say it's that much of a surprise. We have every confidence in ourselves that if we play to the best of our ability, then we're more than capable of winning and not conceding too many. All right. Robbie, who is at Saints in France, says, having been an integral part of the rise and success of the team, do you foresee a future in coaching or management when you finish your playing career? Um, it's, not, it's not something that I've thought of too much at the moment. So I, just, I just want to play for as long as I can, as long as I feel I'm good enough. But coaching, certainly, I'd like, I'd like to go in and help, and help children. Um, I wouldn't say the managing side particularly, particularly uh, interests me too much. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm one for making a tricky decision, so let's say. Yeah, well, sometimes management seems more almost, you know, if you're a coach, you just get to work with the players. And that's really, I think, I mean, you're a teacher, so that's probably a large part of your your desire to, to help and to do things. You want to work actually with, with the kids. And I always say I didn't get into teaching to, to get an office and, and, you know, do paperwork. I got into teaching because I wanted to, to help kids and, and work with them. So uh, I'm sure that that goes along with uh, with your ideas as well. Um, your coach... Lee Callender, who's at State of Play Lee, uh, says, when will you stop fining him for being nutmegged at training? And I have to ask, how often does this happen? Is, is this something that you guys try to do? It happens quite a lot. And I'm, I am actually in charge of the fines, which I do enjoy. Um, <laughs> we have a fine list and everyone is very aware of them, even if they pretend they're not. Um, it goes towards our, our social for the end of the season. So it's just good fun. And I'm afraid nutmegging is, is one of them. And I'm afraid... He is a, a bit of a victim of it at training. <laughs> now, are these are these drills where he's participating, or he's standing there and you guys are doing it to him? Oh, either or. <laughs> we, we do, we do, we do try, but it, it, he's not. He's not. It's not just him. We, we try it with everyone. And if you if you're not aware and on the ball, then I'm afraid you're going to get fined. <laughs> <sighs> All right. To be fair to Lee, he's also very good at paying his fines. So. Do you? Ha- uh, yeah. I won't ask if people if you have other people who are not because that's just I don't want to I don't want to know. Um, no, no, no. We I'm more than happy to go on about fines. We um there are a fair few who are known to uh, hold on to their fine money, but I do I do remind them that I will double it, and eventually they will pay up. <laughs> All, right. All right. I I'm a fair I'm a good payer myself, so it's fine. Yeah, and if if everybody's everybody it happens to everybody, everybody pays. It's all it just it just works. Yeah, and the fines are all they're a variation of things you can get fined for, and it's just good fun. What What are some of the other ones? Like getting nutmegged, obviously one of them. What are some of the other things? Um, doing something stupid or silly. Um, being late, having dirty boots, scoring an own goal. Um, like leaving an item of your clothing or your shin pads, your boots, whatever it may be. Okay. Um, yeah, there's lots of things. The girls would tell you anything that I decide to find is a fine. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, you're the captain. You get to do that. If that, if that is how it goes, and I doubt. I, I, I'm sure that you guys all came up with this beforehand. It's not just whatever you decide that day. So, um, uh, Christy, who who is your is your sponsor this year? I know each of the girls uh, and and the coaches they they have a sponsor for the season to help kind of cover the cost of of travel and everything else, uh, training and things like that. Who is your sponsor this year? Uh, my sponsor is a man called Adam. He is uh, the kit man at AFC Tottenham at the stadium that we play at, and I'm sponsored by himself and his little girl who comes to watch each of our games. Very awesome. Very awesome. And if anybody wants to get in touch and maybe sponsor the team or buy an, an advertisement, they can do so uh, by contacting the team either on Twitter or getting in touch with your club secretary. And I'll put her, uh, I'll put Amanda's email address down there in, in the show notes in case anybody is, is interested uh, in, in doing yeah. that. Um, and I think that kind of does it for, for my questions. Do you have anything else that you'd like to, to say while we're, while we're here? No, no, I don't have any questions. Just thanks very much for giving me the opportunity and for raising awareness and giving Hampton women a bit of publicity. It's really, it's really good. And we all really appreciate it. Oh, it's, 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 it is my pleasure. And I, I'm, I always tell uh, people this, this whole kind of journey for, for me, the, the podcast and everything else has been a product of my kids wanting to play soccer or football. Um, and me really having no idea how to do it or what it was about. And so over the past kind of, you know, four years or so, I've been watching and learning. And anytime I can talk to anybody who plays or has played or coaches and can learn more about it, it it's my pleasure. And I have a, a little girl who wants to play now. It's not just my son. So she, you know, encouragement for her and all of these things is, is great. Yeah, no, more than merrier. It's really good. Thank you very much. Yeah, my, my pleasure. I have to tell you, you are the first, you're the first female that I've ever had on the show. So, so thank you for, for being willing to do this. Oh, amazing. Thanks very much for giving me the chance. Yeah, I know. My, my pleasure. My pleasure. Um, yeah, but that pretty much does it. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks very much. Have a thank great you. day. And you. Bye. And that was my conversation with Kirsty Bell, the captain of the Southampton Women's Football Club. You can get in touch with her on Twitter at KIRST1937. And you can get in touch with the Southampton Women's Football Club on Twitter at SOTON Women's FC. The link to their website is also in the show notes. And I'd like to thank everybody involved, uh, especially Kirsty, for taking the time to talk with me. Now, I should say that after we talked, after um, I had actually originally removed a section of our conversation where I asked her about, you know, how she would score uh, the goal because she, you heard her answer. She said she doesn't, she's not really known for scoring, you know, this and that. And oddly enough, funnily enough, whatever it is, she came into the game yesterday as a sub against the Saints Girls and Ladies Football Club, uh, their biggest rival, uh, the other big team in Southampton. And she scores two goals and they go on to win three one. And so, um, congratulations to, to Kirsty. That is a, a fantastic achievement and, 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 and good for you guys. And, and congratulations on being, uh, undefeated still. And I hope that your success continues and we will hear more from other Southampton Women's Football Club members as the season goes on. Uh, it will be a periodic segment of the show where we talk with one of their players or somebody else affiliated with their club. Uh, not an every week thing, but definitely a, a fairly regular thing. So uh, I hope that you enjoy it. Please, if you felt one way or another about this segment, let me know what you think. Uh, yes, no suggestions on how to make how to make that better. That is all great. But um, as you can tell, I am still very, very sick and I will be going now because I need to go to sleep. So 
Uh, thank you all for listening. Thank you to the Southampton Women's Football Club for allowing Kirsty to speak with me. Thank you, Kirsty, for giving me your time. Uh, Chris Hughes, Saints Marching, everybody involved, thank you so much. The show would not be anything without, one, the listeners that are listening, and two, the guests that I have on the show. Uh, that is really what this is all about. It's not about um, me, thankfully. So, uh, that does it for this episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. You can follow along on Twitter at SFCDELL underscore IVERY. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash SFC Delivery. There is no underscore in the Facebook address. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, ACAST, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And I will put up a special video that just has Kirsty's interview. Uh, in a separate playlist on YouTube uh, sometime late tomorrow, late my time. So um, probably Wednesday morning for everybody in the UK. So if you want to share it that way, that's fine. But I hope that you enjoy it. I hope uh, I hope I hope you enjoyed it. That, that That's all I can say at this point. And um, I'm, I'm running out of words here and, and also running out of the ability to hold my eyes open. So um, until next time, remember that together we march on.